Hey, Gregory Warner here. Just to say, this is our fourth episode of Rough Translation, and your response has already been just amazing. All of your comments on the show, your story ideas, your reviews, keep them coming. We're really reading them all, and it really does make a difference to help us keep this show going. Thanks. Here's the show. We're in a little house on a hill in northwestern Oregon on a comfy couch with throw pillows, a little dog named Muffin running around. Okay, so I'll feel a buzz on my phone. Jackie pulls out her phone. She's got a message on WeChat. And it will have her picture. It comes first in Chinese characters? She's showing all this to reporter Marianne McCune. Like this one is a red panda dancing between two eights. I had no idea what that means. And she says eight in Chinese pronunciation is similar to the word bye. The two eights signify bye-bye. And you say? I say, I hope we can talk again soon. Have a good night. And then I sent the little red panda dancing between two eights. So that's how you communicate with the woman whose baby you're having? Most of the time, yeah. This is Rough Translation. We're a show that follows how something we're talking about in the United States is being talked about somewhere else in the world. When we hear the words international surrogate, we tend to think of American couples hiring women from poorer countries to carry their babies. But more and more with China's economy booming, Chinese women are the ones who are finding surrogates in America. Surrogacy is illegal in China. So today we're going to tell you the story of two women, a Chinese mom and an American surrogate, each wanting something from the other that is hard to admit. And along the way, they get a crash course in transcontinental communication. What's okay to tell the world? What's okay to tell your child? And what's the real advantage of an American passport, even if you never plan to leave China? The story comes from our own Marianne McCune. Jackie got the idea to become a surrogate in nursing school. She actually wrote a paper about surrogacy, covered all the pros and cons. Well, not all, but we'll get to that later. She was happily pregnant at the time with her own son, Elliot. He's now six, and he's actually crawling under the coffee table and listening in while we talk. Is she being on radio? I'm going to be on radio, yeah. Hardly needs to be said it takes a particular kind of person to decide to carry someone else's baby. Jackie grew up in a conservative Christian family of Texans, but her dad worked in the oil industry, so she spent a good chunk of her childhood in Russia. And Russia is where she started to think that a lot of what her parents had taught her wasn't right. By 13, she ditched Christianity. A little older, she dated men and women. She met her husband, a musician, while serving pancakes at the local IHOP. And after having Elliot, they left Texas for the coast of Oregon. They bought this old house, painted the floorboards, filled it with pets and antique furniture and lots of color. Her husband has purple hair. Elliot has green. I know how to say something in Japanese. Konnichiwa. It was after Jackie had built this new life and family. I saw an ad on Facebook. Looking for women in Oregon who are willing to be surrogates. She remembered that paper that she'd written in nursing school. Her husband had doubts. He didn't understand why I wanted to do it. But she talked him into it. Jackie's the kind of person who avoids confrontation, but she also seems to find a way to get what she wants. So I filled out the paperwork. They got in touch with me, I think, the next day. And they said, you're the perfect candidate. 
A 33-year-old nurse with her own healthy child, a stable household, a good income, so she wasn't just doing it for the $30,000, she decided she would take the first couple the agency sent her. I was raised by parents who were honestly racist. They probably wouldn't admit that to themselves. And I probably have biases as well. So I wanted to overcome that. So when the agency sent her a couple from China? I had like maybe a momentary tinge of anxiety. The culture is really, really different, but I had already made the decision that I was going to choose them. Soon after Jackie said yes, she traveled to a fancy fertility clinic in Los Angeles to have the Chinese couple's frozen embryo the size of a pinpoint implanted in her uterus. And why? Just helping someone else do something that they're not able to do on their own. That's the first reason she could figure out. But it wasn't until the embryo, that pinpoint, grew to the size of a peanut, then a walnut, a grapefruit. I kind of know which foods he likes already. It wasn't until she was exchanging messages with the Chinese mom, those WeChats with the pandas, or talking about the Chinese soap opera Jackie's watching so the baby can hear his language, that something crystallized for Jackie. I started to really like her, and I think she likes me as well. I hope she does. (laughs) It was a surprise. Three months into the pregnancy, Jackie thinks this was the adventure she'd been hoping for, this new friendship, this strangely intimate bond with someone so far away. I've never been to China, and I'd like to see what their lives are like. So when the Chinese mother asked if she could come all the way to Oregon for the 20-week ultrasound, Jackie was so excited. But the weekend would not go as she expected. Maybe no better way to learn about somebody else's culture than by having their baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I got a crash course for sure. (laughs) When Rough Translation returns. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Babbel. If you want to learn a language for a trip or to speak with new friends and family, Babbel quickly teaches you how to have real-life conversations confidently in Spanish, French, Italian, and more. With short and convenient 10- to 15-minute lessons, you can use Babbel on your computer, smartphone, or tablet. And right now, get an exclusive offer at babbel.com translation. We're back with Rough Translation. I'm Marianne McCune. Jackie and her husband and her son, Elliot, pile into their car and drive two hours to the Portland airport to meet the Chinese mother. To protect the women's privacy, we agreed to use first names only. And the Chinese mom asked that we use her American name, Jessie. I'm asking her where she is right now. (laughs) Jackie's husband and son stay in the car while she goes in to find the Chinese mother to be. You just sent me a picture of where she is. It's like a big American flag. And then Jackie sees her in jeans and a purple raincoat. Hi! <laughs> nice to meet you. you. I'm so excited. <laughs> then Jesse looks at Jackie's big belly. A big belly. <laughs> and everybody starts crying. You're welcome. These two women hardly know each other. Most of their conversations have been translated by a computer. (laughs) My English is so poor. Oh, I have... um, They try using Google Translate to talk. But... I now see you. He has been with us because I imagined it was a long time long. (laughs) 
so our producer Jess Jang starts helping out. Okay. I think I can step in. Her parents are immigrants from China. So she was saying, I was so, so emotional today because I've, sorry, I think I'm going to cry too. <laughs> I, I've thought about this moment for so many years. It's my honor. It's, can I have another? <laughs> another hug. And then they go shopping. I wanted to show you some of the things that I used when Elliot was a baby that okay, really you. helped me. <laughs> First stop, boppy pillows and baby carriers. Have you seen things like this before? Where you can oh. wear... Yeah, you can wear the baby. <laughs> this one? Um, maybe, maybe this one. I know this carrier, and it is a commitment. It's one long piece of stretchy knit fabric that you have to crisscross around your body to make a pouch. People get lessons on how to do it. Jesse picks up the package, looks curiously, and... Okay. Okay. <laughs> she plops it in her cart. And how true you... This one? Sure. I'd, I'd be happy to. <laughs> Jessie has got her own shopping list, like organic formula. I'll show you. She doesn't trust the formula in China. Do you want me to pump milk? She'll tell us later, for her, this visit wasn't about becoming friends with Jackie. She's asking if uh, we can now pay. She's here to meet her sure. and thank her and make sure everything is okay. But by the time they get back to Jackie's 100-year-old house on a hill... Elliot, her six-year-old, is holding his Chinese guest's hand, tugging her into the house. See my room? Jesse meets their two ferrets, their black and white cat, their little dog, Muffin. He's being friendly. <laughs> she gave you a kiss. She really likes you. And I really like you. <laughs> Thank Aww. you. Despite coming from so far away, Jesse looks weirdly just right in small-town Oregon. She's got long dark hair, tinted red at the ends. She wears a plaid flannel, and she ditches her makeup after one night. She and Jackie are the same age. They're both into art. Jessie loves the half-dozen electric guitars that line the walls of the room she's staying in. She's saying your house fulfills her imagination of what American homes look like. <laughs> it has um, big skies and uh, um, coastal areas, and this house also has music, a musical we're, instrument. We're starting to form a bond that I hope will continue for our lifetime. There are a lot of Chinese women coming to the U.S. to have babies. Enough that immigration officials are on the lookout. And Jessie, she couldn't even get a visa her first time around. When she applied to come to California for IVF, for in vitro fertilization, she says the guy at the consulate rejected her visa on the spot. The way she remembers it, he accused her. You're trying to get an American passport, he told her. Trying to have an American baby. It's a real thing among wealthy Chinese couples now. There was even a super popular romantic comedy in China. Why you come to Seattle? All about a Chinese woman Sleepless in Seattle. who comes to spend five months in a secret maternity home I love that movie. for pregnant Chinese women, which is also a real thing. Jessie's story is different. She's using a surrogate, not giving birth herself. But she says she does know a lot of Chinese couples considering delivering their babies in the U.S. So she knew what she had to do to get her visa. She had to prove that she wasn't trying to have a so-called anchor baby, that she didn't want to immigrate to the U.S. 
She came back to the consulate as soon as she could, carrying a clear plastic bag. Inside was the deed to her cosmopolitan apartment and proof that she owns a Mercedes-Benz. She showed them her husband's earnings as a futures trader and proof of her own stable government job. And she got the visa. Jessie says the people she knows who want American passports for their babies, it's not so much that they want to immigrate to the U.S. or even go to American universities. It's also because it gives them advantages in China. Jess Zhang, our producer, asked Jesse a lot of questions about this. I was really curious about this. And Jesse told me there are these elite universities in China, and students have to take these tough entrance exams to get into them. They're far more important and far harder than the SATs. Kids study for them for years. But the top-tier universities in China, they want more foreign students who could raise the profile of the school. So those schools, they actually lower the standards for those students. And foreign students in this case means Chinese kids with Chinese parents whose only foreignness is where they were born. Jesse's baby will get an American passport, too, because he'll be born to a surrogate on American soil. And she says she'll be glad to have it, but it's not the reason she's spending several hundred thousand dollars on doctors and lawyers and lodging and Jackie here in the U.S. Paying a surrogate isn't legal in China, but she could have done it in, say, Ukraine for half the price. So why Oregon? When I asked Jessie, she says the medical technology, of course, but also the clear laws in Oregon and other states that allow surrogacy. There are protections for the mom. Jackie and Jessie negotiated a long legal contract. It says Jackie cannot change her mind after the birth and keep the baby. It says if the parents want her to abort because of genetic disease, she will. She agreed to never try to contact the child. And she asked Jessie for things, too. Like she asked to spend at least two hours with Jesse and the baby after he's born. Two hours. What Jackie most wants is not written in the contract. It's that friendship, that connection she's hoping for. How are you? This is Yin, another person where this is Elliot. Hi, my name is Yin. Nice to meet you. The next day, we all gather in Jackie's living room with a professional interpreter so that Jessie can tell us why she turned to surrogacy in the first place. She grabs a pillow off the couch and hugs it against her belly and starts. She tells about meeting her husband. We are on fire. vow to be good to her forever. Nice to you all my life. Her parents' disapproval and their secret love affair. I never told my parents. His mom's struggle with cancer and how hard they work to pay off all the health care bills. It is very hard to climb out of that deep hole. Finally, their decision to have a baby. She tries for four years to have a child. Every remedy, Chinese herbs, flushing out her fallopian tubes, artificial insemination, until finally she pees on a stick and sees. Yes, it is two lines. You are pregnant. She and her husband buy a crib. They take long walks together. But the more pregnant she gets, my face, my hands, the skin is so tight, almost like will be exposed someday. The doctors tell her not to worry. 
And then one day, about seven months into her pregnancy, she is feeling so strange, she asks her mother to take her blood pressure. She said, I think this machine may be broken or something. By night, Jessie is in the hospital. Her husband is rushing home from a business trip to meet her. And I start vomiting, like, explode from my mouth. It cannot even stand up. Jessie had a condition called preeclampsia. Her blood pressure was dangerously high. Her kidneys could fail. If the baby remained inside her, both she and the baby could die. And she was delirious. Her husband pushed her to sign papers allowing doctors to do an emergency C-section. So I was kind of unconscious after the surgery, but I heard something on my side. I heard a baby cry once, but then stopped. So I was asked doctor, I said, why my baby only cry once? It stopped. Then the doctor says, don't worry. The baby doctor is trying to save your baby's life. Don't worry, be calm. There are choices to make based on not enough information. Should they continue with the mechanical ventilator? Should they see if he can survive with less machinery? After one and a half day, my baby's gone. Didn't make it. At this point, our interpreter Yin is on the couch next to Jessie, rubbing her arm, telling her and Mandarin, no, it's not her fault. She's not to blame. Big, pregnant Jackie is leaning in, too, her hand on Jessie's shoulder. It's Jessie who finally says in English what she felt after losing her boy. I also feel that I killed my baby. No, no, no. These people are trusting me. This is a huge responsibility. We take a break. Jackie scarfs a yogurt. Jessie gets some tea. And we come back to the couch. Jessie has one more important piece of information she wants to tell Jackie while the interpreter is still here. She takes a deep breath and begins again. She tells us, Only her mom, dad, and husband know that she's having a baby through a surrogate. Outside that tight-knit family circle, it is a secret from everyone. You are the American. You cannot understand that if somebody knows my baby not from my own uterus, it will be really difficult for my child to grow up as a normal kid. You cannot understand how difficult it will be in China. She's told all her friends a lie. I only told them, I am pregnant. I am going to have a baby. And as her pretend pregnancy advances, she's telling people she's gone to the United States to have her baby, like so many other Chinese mothers are doing. 
But really, she's hiding out in China. What I am doing is I rented a house far away from my residential area. She has quit her job and she's moved to a neighborhood where she's anonymous. I live there so avoid people knowing that the pregnancy, if it's true or fake one. It's just Chinese society thoughts. I don't want anybody to know that you was the one helping me carry my baby. I know this is not fair to you, and I know you won't feel good about that, but it's possible I won't tell my kid forever. I'm sorry, I really cannot keep contact with you after my child born. I'm so sorry. It, it's okay. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, it's, it's up to you, you know, you're his mother. Um, I was just hoping that maybe we could keep like a friendly relationship without mentioning the surrogacy, if that's possible. But even if that's not possible, I'll understand. Uh, Before leaving Oregon, Jessie will try again and again to explain why she can't tell her son her secret. Um, in China, people like to debate your life. They think it's caring. She says if someone can't have a baby and uses a surrogate, they might say, that person, in the past life, they must have done something really wrong because someone else had to have their child. They might tell her son he's a bastard. And then he'd come up to, to me and say, Mom, they say that you, you didn't even have me. Why do I have to listen to you? You're not even my mother. There might be kind of hate. Hate leading to bad behavior. On TV, there are these stories of of people who retaliate against society. And it's and it's serious and it's um it can happen. Oh don't be sorry. It's it's Jackie is I'm, trying I'm to absorb all this. Jackie who explains in great detail to her own son every unusual choice that she makes. And Jesse is telling us that if she tells her son the truth, he might end up in jail. I want my kid to be kind to people, animals, society, to have a responsible heart. She says she knows there's only a tiny chance of all these bad things happening, but she just can't risk it. Because I'm a mommy. Yeah. What? Because I'm a mother. That crushed me. It's a few weeks after the visit, and Jackie's on the phone with me. She's six months pregnant now. It's the first time I've had a chance to ask her about Jessie's big secret without Jessie in the room. And she says she doesn't care so much whether Jessie ever tells her son about the surrogacy, but... For her to say, after the baby's born, I can't talk to you anymore, 
It was like I was meeting a sister and then being told, I only will get to cherish these few moments in my memory, but I'm never going to get to talk to her again. After a weekend that she thought would bring Jessie and her closer, it seems to have driven them further apart. She and I have actually not been talking to each other as much as we did before. I sense that she feels a lot of guilt. Meanwhile, back in China, Jessie is in her secret hideout with her two cats that her husband brought her as a surprise to keep her company. One is really fat, and so he's called Meat Meat, or maybe Meaty is a better translation. She and Jess, our producer Jess, they've been exchanging audio messages. She, she tells me all about her new home in the countryside and her life there. Jess asks her if she's been in touch with Jackie. And she says... No. We haven't been talking that much recently because I've been crocheting the baby a sweater. It seems hard to believe the crocheting is what's keeping her from talking to Jackie. So two weeks later, our Jess sends another question by WeChat. I asked her, do you feel like keeping a friendship with Jackie is somehow in conflict with keeping your secret? And she sends me this message back saying she's been thinking. She tells me, at first, actually, she didn't want a relationship with Jackie. She was worried a friendship might mean her son would find out her secret. But she and her husband have been talking. When Jessie came home and told the only people who know about Jackie what she was like, how generous... They all started thinking. Jesse says she and her husband decided they will tell their son about Jackie. They want him to grow up to be the kind of person who can understand the complexity of it all. But she says they'll need to wait until he's 20 years old, or maybe 30, or 35. And as for her feelings about Jackie, she uses this phrase that I've never heard before. It's Jesse says it means they're the kind of friends that are so close that they don't have to talk every day. But when they do, it's like no time has passed. But I asked my parents about this phrase, and they translate it totally differently. They say it's the kind of friends that don't talk about anything important, just light stuff like water. The whole literal translation is two gentlemen who communicate about mundane things like water. Jesse does start sending messages to Oregon again here and there. Sometimes funny exchanges in English with six-year-old Elliot. Let me show you the rabbit. The rabbit is very cute. Thank you, Elliot. Jesse and her husband in China keep wrestling with what role Jackie should have in their lives. And then something happens that will take this whole question out of their hands. It starts around seven and a half months into Jackie's pregnancy. When I call her, she says her legs and feet are swollen, and she had to take off work earlier than she expected. I'm, I have a pretty high tolerance for pain, and it's getting kind of painful. <laughs> I've got a little bit of swelling, but it's been awesome. I just, I just didn't realize like how physically uncomfortable it might get. She sleeps through a couple of our phone dates. She says it was not like this when she was pregnant with her son, Elliot. 
And then, five weeks before the due date, our producer Jess gets a worried WeChat message from China. Jessie, still in her hideout, has just gotten news from Oregon, and it is not good. When Rough Translation returns. Support for Rough Translation and the following message come from the Platinum Card from American Express. There's a great big world out there, and no other card lets you experience it like the Platinum Card. Backed by the service and security of American Express. We're back with Rough Translation, and here is where we left things. Eight months into Jackie's pregnancy, she is diagnosed with the same high blood pressure condition that Jessie, the Chinese mom, almost died from. Preeclampsia. That's how Jessie lost her first baby. And the odd thing about this is that when Jackie was pregnant with her son, she didn't have any signs of preeclampsia. She didn't have any family history of this, as far as she knew. If she had been at high risk, she probably wouldn't have passed the screening to become a surrogate. So it was a shock to everyone. But there's some recent research on what might be going on. Here's Marion McCune. Preeclampsia is one of the leading causes of maternal death in the United States. Jackie's doctors tell her they want to induce labor early, but they want to give the baby more time, so they send her home with instructions to take it very easy and remain calm. They also tell her something doctors and nurses are only just starting to understand. The studies are so recent that a likely factor in Jackie's preeclampsia is the baby. The baby's genes can trigger something in Jackie that drives her blood pressure up and up and up. When Jessie gets the message in China, she says she feels like ice water was thrown at her heart. The agency told her that her husband's genes may be to blame. His genes might have caused Jackie's preeclampsia. She says she feels that to Jackie, she will forever be sorry. Then another, even more urgent message from Jackie. She's having breathing problems. She's in the hospital. It's four weeks before the due date, but the doctors tell her they have to get the baby out now. That is the start of a mad dash to northwestern Oregon. Jess here, the radio producer. I'm recording this right now at the Portland, Oregon airport. At 3 in the morning, Jessie and her mother leave to catch a train to Shanghai to try to get a plane to Los Angeles, to San Francisco, to Portland. Jessie told me her head is spinning. I camp out in the hospital waiting room. Hey, it's Marianne. Jackie's water is broken, and it's 9.30 a.m. And now Jackie is the one who has to make all kinds of decisions, like should she take pain medication? The relief will help keep her blood pressure down, but it will be a risk to the baby. Hey, she's on an update. Hey, I am pacing in the hallways. I'm like an old-fashioned dad. I can't imagine how Jessie feels on a train and then a plane and... Another plane, a rental car, trying to get here fast enough. At two in the afternoon, new nurse on duty. She just told me that Jackie is three centimeters dilated, uh, but she's going to get an epidural really soon. At just after 4 p.m., I receive the message I've been waiting for. Okay. I just got word from Jess, who just got word from Jesse, who's in the airport in San Francisco, that the baby has been born. Oh, you 
The beautiful mommy who can't wait to meet you. Jackie's husband videotapes the baby's first cry. He's curled up on Jackie's chest, but a nurse is scrambling to shove a stethoscope between his limbs so they can listen to his heart. My name's Elsa. I was the baby nurse that caught him, and he he was vigorous at first, and then he just sort of and held his breath. And I was like, baby, I'm stimulating his back. What are you doing? Come on, cry for me. He won't cry. And that's when he started doing the, the grunting. Like he can't fill his lungs without effort. And his color wasn't quite as pink, so we went and immediately put on the oxygen. Jessie, changing planes in San Francisco, receives a photo of her baby from Jackie's husband. But when she asks how he is, there's no response. She says her heart is going up and down. Jackie stays in her hospital bed, exhausted and with her blood pressure still dangerously high. Jessie and her mom finally arrive in Portland. They haven't slept in 36 hours and gladly accept Jess's offer to drive the two hours on a dark, windy road to the hospital. Jessie's phone keeps buzzing with messages from friends in China congratulating her. Her husband told them she's given birth to a baby boy in the United States. Jessie still hasn't met her baby, still doesn't even know how he is, And when they park the car at the hospital, she runs through the parking lot, her mom and Jess hurrying to keep up. They all arrive at labor and delivery. I show them the way past the front desk to where Jackie is. The nurse comes out. It's right here. And I gesture to the door on the left. She's in there. And the nurse, she gestures to the door on the right. And the baby's in here. So Jackie on the left, baby on the right. There are moments following a journey like this one that get imprinted on your memory. And for me, this was one. Jesse has traveled so far and has waited so long to see this baby. The baby who has tubes in his nose to help him breathe behind the door on the right. And she chooses the door on the left. Jackie. <laughs> Jackie. Oh, yeah. Thank you, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, thank you. Have you seen thank the baby? You. No. Let's go see the baby. No. Oh, I have to call. She has to call the nurse to get out of bed. He's beautiful. He looks like you. <laughs> the nurse comes and helps yeah. Jackie into a wheelchair. Oh, yeah. A little swelling. Mm-hmm. Jessie looks at her IV and her blood pressure monitor. Your blood? Oh, my blood pressure, 139 over oh, 83. okay, okay. So it's good. We all crowd yeah. into the little room across the hall. Uh, Jessie is pushing the IV. Where Jessie meets her baby for the first time. He's lying on his back on a little stand, knees splayed out to either side, wearing a tiny diaper and warming under a heat lamp. He's got a tube blowing air into his nose and monitors taped over his lungs and another on his wrist, and he's sleeping. Jessie, everyone, just stands frozen for a moment. He's doing really good. A medical interpreter will come in the morning, but for now, so late at night, our Jess helps Jessie understand how different this time is from the last time she had a baby. Um, are the lungs um, completely formed? 
They looked good on x-ray. After Jessie gets through her questions, the nurse eases the baby into her arms, and for the first time, he opens his eyes and looks right up at her. That's the most we've seen his eyes. Jessie's mother stands behind her chair, hands on her shoulders. Her mom is saying that this is the result of your mutual work and mutual success. Thank you. How do I say thank you? Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Thank you, thank you. Both Jackie and Jessie stay in the hospital for the next few days. The baby does great, comes off that tube blowing air into his nose within an hour of meeting his mom. Down the hall, it takes some time to get Jackie's blood pressure down. It will look good and then shoot back up again when she does anything stressful, like when she lets me interview her the next morning and her blood pressure machine starts beeping. Pain medicine. Oh, I have to take a break for a minute. It is 162 over 91. Is that? That's high right now. Should yeah. we stop talking? Um, yeah, I should probably take okay. a break. Weeks later, after Jackie has gotten the okay to go back to her job as a nurse, I give her a call. I can mostly fit into my scrubs, my work scrubs. <laughs> Jackie says she's done a lot of thinking about preeclampsia and that her doctors say she likely got it from the baby she agreed to carry and give birth to. She was always interested in the medical adventure that surrogacy would take her on. And now she's read a pile of studies about how the father's genes may be a factor in preeclampsia. And they used a term that I don't like at all called the dangerous father effect. (laughs) That puts all of the blame on a person who has no control. Several people have asked me, if you had to do this over again, would you do it? And so my answer is yes and no. If I had known that I would have been at a high risk for complications, I would not do it again. She says she'd risk her health for her family, not for a stranger. But since she did take that risk for Jesse, something has changed between them. Jesse and her baby had to stay in Oregon for weeks longer than she'd planned because it took that long to get her son his American passport and do all the paperwork necessary to go to China. She and her mother rented an apartment, and with Jackie pumping breast milk every day, Jesse came regularly to see her and pick it up. Jackie got to hold the baby a lot more than the two hours that was in the contract, more than she even wanted to. She didn't want to intrude. I would usually only hold him for maybe like two to five minutes at a time, and then I'd give him back to Jesse. It was actually the moments with Jesse and her mom that Jackie says she savored most. 
Jessie's mother kept telling Jackie she's pretty. Once at the hospital, she started playing with Jackie's hair. And it was Jessie who beckoned Jackie into a photo with her mom and the baby. She called Jackie something in Chinese, which the medical interpreter translated as the most important person. Jess's translation is security guard. Jess's dad thinks it's more like guardian angel. And the dictionary translation is benefactor. She wants me to come to China and visit her family. She does? Really? She does, yeah. So um, I'm going to try to go within a year. I really wasn't expecting that. I know, I know. um, The way she phrases it is, welcome to China. (laughs) (laughs) When we use the WeChat app, that's how it translates. Welcome to China. (laughs) (laughs) Today's show was produced by Jess Jang. Thanks to our interpreters, Yin Hansen and Jess Jang's parents, Zhe Dian Dong and Wei Jang. Thanks to Detour, the audio walk company, for use of their studio. And thank you, Elizabeth Senjus-Backman, for introducing us to Jackie. Hey, if you have a story of cross-border communications or something that shows a cultural perspective on something familiar, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at roughtranslation at npr.org. Editorial help on this episode from Sana Krasikov. The Rough Translation advisory team includes Neil Carruth, Alex Goldmark, Mathilde Piard, and Anya Grunman. Mary Glendening and Bryn Winterbottom fact-checked this episode. Mastering by Andy Huther. We're on Facebook, Rough Translation, or on Twitter at Roughly. I'm at Radio Grego. Previous episodes you can find at npr.org slash roughtranslation. Original music for this podcast by John Ellis. I'm Gregory Warner. Back next week with another Rough Translation. Hey y'all, Sam Sanders here. Want to tell you about the only NPR show where you can hear about the latest White House drama and the return of TRL to MTV. The show is called It's Been a Minute. Every Friday, we catch up on the week of news and culture, everything. And every Tuesday, I sit down for some long interviews with authors, filmmakers, directors, and more. You can find It's Been a Minute on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts.